Bienvenute a la salsa. Welcome to the sauce. What's your name? Bree Delano. That's me. That's me. This is episode number three. As you may or may not know, the sauce is an intimate podcast, a conversational wanderlust, if you will, with creatives and multi-hyphenates who are stellar in their profession, but also wear many other hats creatively that, uh, you know, keep them sane or maybe a little crazy. Um, And that's what we love about these very special people. Today, we are focused on dogs. One of my favorite things in the world. Uh, This one is for those of you who are pet parents or possibly thinking about becoming one. This is a, oh my goodness, a ocean of information. If this is your first time listening, welcome, welcome, welcome. The twist uh, here at the sauce with yours truly, I incorporate my very blessed career into this podcast. Everybody's got a story, you know, but everybody also has a soundtrack. And that's what makes the sauce so goddamn flavorful. Each featured guest, uh, they take a trip down memory lane and we curate and produce together the soundtrack of their lives. Highs, lows, tears, smiles, laughter, darkness. We put it all together in one amazing playlist for you, the listener, to be able to enjoy alongside each episode. So... Today features somebody very special in my life. There is, uh, you know, nothing more important if you are an animal parent than having an amazing relationship with your vet. And today I feature my vet who, Jesus, I've been through a whole hell of a lot with in five, six years that I've been with him. He is quite the multi-hyphenate with his own podcast called Vets Unleashed. He is a Boston Marathon runner, former professional corn detasseler, a former marching band member for Iowa State, and also a cyclist. But the number one favorite hat that he wears aside his incredible veterinary career is stand-up comedian. Yes, you heard me correctly. His name is Dr. Mike McClenahan, known to many on Instagram as at Bowtie Vet Guy. Listeners, get ready. Pen and paper. Lots of information here on this one for those who are animal parents or, like I said, thinking about possibly becoming one. This one's for you guys. All right. Take a ride with us and get lost in the sauce. Let's get into it. (laughs) And there's Mookie. Let's go. I'm just going to press record so I can capture everything. That's Ben, and that's Pazuki, and then Chewy was the other one that you can just not quite see. I mean, I love that you just have the tribe on the bed. Yeah, but I actually injured my rib, so I'm not... Oh, no. Yeah, I know I'm old because I injured it while stretching. (laughs) Wow. Isn't it funny? These, like, little teeny things that happen? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm... 
Yeah, it was. I was actually foam rolling and was like doing a new thing that I was watching online. It was like, oh, and and so roll out your stomach muscles and lean just a little bit, and it went pop, and it, yeah, it hurt. yeah. So wait, is it bruised, sprained? What oh, is it? It's probably cracked. I probably cracked a rib. Yeah, yeah. Salute, by the way, in honor yeah. of your podcast. I have something too. Fantastic. What do you have? <laughs> it's uh, ranch water, which is Topo Chico, lime, and tequila. I mean, yes. Yeah, it's good. Salute. To your rib. Mm-hmm. Okay, so wait. I always hear that like with the rib situation, yeah. there's nothing that you can really do about it. You just kind of have to ride it out. Yep. That is yeah. true. That is true. I uh, and I I emailed my doctor just to be sure. I'm like, this is what happened. He's like, as long as you aren't feeling grinding and there's not like a big, you know, bump pushing out, take NSAIDs and rest, and it, it'll take up to six weeks or more to heal. This is the problem with doing things online and not having somebody go like, oh no no, you're too far, right right, this direction, and then yeah. It's yeah. just getting older. I was talking to my brother about that. And I still, like, I go on bicycle rides that are two to four hours. And, you know, I run three, four, you know, miles, you know, without a problem. It's just I need more rest days than I used to. And it's, it's different from COVID, too. Well, you had it so bad. I did have it bad. Yeah. Because it's such a new, weird, freaky mm -hmm. thing that clearly doesn't have a ton of research attached to it prior to what was expedited in the last right. two or three years. But it is very interesting. Everybody's different story about and the after yeah. effect of it. Yeah, everybody's different. And just to kind of give you like a little bit of idea, there's a uh, there are coronaviruses in every species. And so this gets into the whole veterinarian thing too. The um, There's a something in cats called FIP, feline infectious peritonitis, and it's caused by a coronavirus. And up until recently, you know, with some of the new drugs that are out for people and, and such, mm -hmm. it was uniformly fatal. Like, and we've been setting it for 30 years. The, 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 the virus disease. itself. Yeah, the virus yeah. in cats. And like, why does it, you know, why do some cats get this horrible disease and that they die from? And some of them just get a little diarrhea and they get over it. Is this kind of like the feline AIDS or is it totally different? It's a, it's a different one. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's caused by a coronavirus. So feline coronavirus. I learned a little bit about this because I've listened to the episode of oh. Vets Unleashed well, where, where there was a deep dive conversation when you finally, you know, bounced back. Yeah. Uh, and you guys did a really, you had a really interesting conversation that I learned a lot about in regards okay. to the parallel, you know, with the coronavirus and, and yeah. in humans and in, in animals. animals for listeners, the takeaway is yes. It, in fact, animals do get it. Yes. They can get their own version, right? So there's a cat one and a dog one and all these coronaviruses. Coronavirus is just like a big group, grouping of viruses. There's a lot of different coronaviruses. Or, but the one that causes COVID is generally not contagious to pets that were cats. And generally. Thinking. Generally. There have been a few cases of animals that have gotten it. And there was one case, and I think it was Thailand, where a, uh, a person got it gave it to a cat, and then that cat gave it to somebody else. So that's ah. that's one out of how many 
yeah, millions and yeah. millions of it's cases. It's like freaking nature stuff. Yeah, yeah. So primates are worse. So like, you know, the LA Zoo, like pretty much shut down and the keepers couldn't see each other. They had to keep the primate keepers away from all the other keepers and the big cats could get it and some of them got sick. Yeah, so they'd usually get a respiratory in infection. It's go like, oh yes, this is that exact same coronavirus as opposed to a different coronavirus because now they can look at the DNA of it and, you know, know which species it is pretty quickly. It's so interesting to me, especially with the animal thing. I was so curious as to how that all kind of unfolded. And then I figured obviously with domestic animals, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. far more susceptible. Well, they're just more, they're around us more, right? right. So right, right. they're more likely to get it. Exactly. They come in contact with it more, which is why the animals in the zoo, they had to be really careful with them because some of those are endangered animals. And the reason they're in zoos, they're yeah. going to go extinct if they're not in a zoo. You know, that's really important then not to let them get a disease from the keepers. It's interesting. Ay, 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 the last few years. I love that we just jumped right into it and uh, we, you know, we got yeah. some extra yeah. doctor advice from the Dr. Mike. So listeners, I guess it is time for me to do a formal introduction. This is episode number three of The Sauce with Brie Delano. It is my grand pleasure to introduce my vet, Dr. Mike McClenahan. Thanks for having me. We're going to get into the sauce. We're going to get saucy, <laughs> um, which <laughs> listeners, Dr. Mike has his own podcast. Getting saucy is the uh, key phrase here because Dr. Mike and I are having a cocktail together. Cheers. Cheers. Cocktails are a fun twist, pun intended, on uh, Vets Unleashed. Mm -hmm. Give me like the one-liner of what Vets Unleashed is, like the tagline. Yeah, it's... It's if you were at a cocktail party and you heard two vets talking, this is what you would hear. I love it. Okay. His babies are in the background right now. Mm -hmm. yep. There Thank is you. one cute pup that matches your very uh, <laughs> sexy salt and pepper beard that you have presented this year, which I love. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I turned 50 and I thought, got to try something different. It's, it's sophistication nation. I love oh, it. Thanks. Thanks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is your girlfriend a fan as well? Or oh, just... yeah. I wouldn't have kept it otherwise. Yeah. You're a good man. Oh, no. You're, you're, you're keeping this. It's it's really good. And I was like, oh, is, all right. Is the dog hers? This is my dog. Like, my, I didn't know if this cat. was a joined. Yeah. So we're we're a joined group now. So two dogs, two cats. In a team and they all group. just got along. Yeah, they, they get along great. Well, because the one that's the problem child, Ben, who is my dog, who just has anxiety and uh, he's he's a um, blue healer. They are, he's a hundred pounds of energy in a 25 pound sack. And when he can't get rid of the energy, it all is, goes into anxiety. So since the time he was little, if he's not given something to do, he gets very anxious and will bark at people. He'll lunge gotcha. at them. Do you rescue him? Yeah, he showed up. He had a, a broken leg and the owners couldn't take care of it. And so he ended up, you know, at a rescue. And then I I took him on after that. He looks pretty chill right now. Yeah, he's better since he's a little bit older. And, I, you know, I think about it this way. I, I, I do get jealous of people that have wonderful, easy dogs that just get along with everybody and are fine. But if he didn't end up with me, he would be back at a shelter or dead because nobody would put the work in. I mean, I put, I've put in, you know, a year and a half of work now on him. And now he can go on walks without 
getting freaked out without lunging at people um, as long as he knows what to do. And I keep him, you know, by my side and he's, I've worked really hard to get him that way. Listeners, it's funny. If you saw what I was seeing right now, there's Mike, his dog is behind him on the bed. And then there's another pup. And then there's two kitties. It's so everything that I would want to see from my vet. (laughs) If I were to take a peek and be a fly on the wall in his house, I'm looking at exactly what it should be. But I say the same thing about Mookie. Each moment of joy that I have with him, mm-hmm. and there are so many random fleeting moments throughout the day because he's just such a quirky, weird dude. All of his intricacies make me think, oh my God, if I didn't take him, yeah, nobody would understand this dog. Nope. Because he's so vocal and he's <laughs> so obscure and so random. And none of those communicative forms are are in any way with ill intent you know what i'm saying he I just do. how he voices himself and there's no way anybody would get it like they just yeah. wouldn't have put the work in and and i encourage his voice so much on a regular basis that it's right. part of like our daily routine yeah yeah i talk to my cats and they speak back you know we have little conversations 100% interestingly cats don't do that to other cats they don't talk to other cats? Mm-mm. They only talk to people. Isn't that really? fascinating? Cats talk to cats are very interesting in that they are the only species that domesticated themselves. Dogs, uh, you know, came from wolves and they were the nice ones that kind of hung around the campfires when we were hunter gatherers. And then eventually we started breeding them and making them what we wanted them to be. Same with cattle, same with, you know, uh, birds that are domesticated. Cats just sort of followed us and decided they wanted wanted to be in our lives. We didn't do any of the domesticating of them. I mean, that's cats can live out in the wild. You know, you just put them outside and they do okay. They are killing machines. They will uh, find their food and kill whatever they need. There's some gangster cats out there. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. Oh, listeners, I'm sorry. Can we're just rapping and talking animal stuff? I'll try and rapid fire the basic boring questions. Okay. But I feel like they are informative to a lot of people, you know, who I would love to get to know you better. So I met you through Jen Green. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I moved back in 2017 with my kiddo and my two dogs, mm-hmm. Sadie Jane Hawkins, a.k.a. Sadie the Crazy Lady, and the best dog in the entire world, Miss Foxy Brown. Mm. Good dogs. Good dogs. I fell in love with the practice and the team and the whole thing. And that was it. It was like, okay, here it is. It's a marriage because having a relationship with your vet is mm-hmm. incredibly important. It, it really is. It's like, it's like with your pediatrician. Physician. Yeah. Your pediatrician. Uh, the only one maybe that's a little tougher to do, I think is your therapist. <laughs> like, like there you're really getting into Which life. Yes. Oh. Is just as important, if not more important than all of them. Yeah. If for sure. Put the oxygen mask on first. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. It's and it's so hard. Like if you have to change, if you ever have to change therapists, that is like the the hardest thing to it's do. Worse. You got to start I, over. I it's like it starting over a new relationship. <sighs> like it's like starting over dating again. Yes, I cannot say enough. Therapy, 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 therapy. It's the greatest thing in the world. I don't know these things about you. So where were you born? 
I was born and raised in Iowa, a little town called Sigourney. They do that in Iowa. There's a whole bunch of towns that they pronounce weird. So uh, it's a little town of about 2,000 in Southeast Iowa. Went to Iowa State University. So my first 25 years were in Iowa. Oh, wow. Like you're solid, legit. What do they call them? Iowans? Iowans, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the like thing that Iowa is known for, especially in where you're at? Is it like- Corn. Corn yeah, farming. You know, it's a farm country. Yeah. Okay. So little town, 2,000 mm-hmm. people. Yeah. What was your family childhood life like? Like what was going on in the house? Mom, yeah. dad, divorced together, They're, siblings? They, yeah. I. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little crazy one. So crazy. divorced when I was like five or six. So pretty early. And then uh, got my stepdad who married my mom like a couple years later. So, mm-hmm. and he's been straight through ever since. Let's see. So my dad was a physician. My mom was an art teacher. Stepdad is a, was a lawyer and then went into um, uh, like teaching and some other things as well. My dad was an alcoholic, but then got sober when I was in high school. So went through a lot of that stuff, um, which, you know, thinking back on it, you know, you think about like, oh, did you have a terrible childhood because of this? Like, well, I didn't think so at the time. I just thought those things were normal. Like right. <laughs> your dad would and get then through therapy. You go like, oh, that wasn't normal. But it also wasn't like I, I will say this. My dad was always there for me. And I have um gosh, how many siblings do I have? Oh my good wait, you have to stop the thing? Yeah, I do. Because there's a bunch of and there's a bunch of like half siblings, but we all consider each other full siblings. So it's all this. Okay. Oh, so you have a relationship with everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. One younger sister and mm-hmm. then uh, older uh, is, let's see, Matt, Craig, Russ, Mark. So four. Wow. And then we added another one much later. Uh-oh, uh, there was an oopsie. There was another one uh, named okay. Kristen. Well, because one of the most important things that I learned coming from a strange and broken home. I'm obsessed with cliches and and not only am I a firm believer and everything happens for a reason, but one of my favorite ones is blood does not define family. Yeah. Right. Because I don't really have any family, but my friends became family. Right. It's just the relationships and the love. We all know this about each other. We all have each other's backs. You know, we all love each other and we're all siblings no matter what. Clearly, you must have been an animal fanatic yeah. from childhood. Yeah, I was one of those kids who was definitely like, from the time I was like a little kid, I'm like, I'm going to be a veterinarian. You know, that was oh, like, wow. five years old. I was, I'm, that's what I'm going to be. And it was pretty much straight through. You know, I mean, I, you know, of course, I considered like, oh, maybe I'll be a teacher. Maybe I'll, you know, go into law. Maybe, and but really, nah, it was always veterinary. I did not have a plan B. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it. Did you have a farm? No, we were, you know, it was a small town, so everybody had a big yard and such. But but no, we had animals as far back as I can remember. I mean, my first pet was Charlie. And I had all these cats from the time I was like five until I was about 13 or 14. And I'd had this cat that I had for like six months, and it died. And, you know, suddenly. Um, and a few months later, the vet in town I called up and was like, "Hey, if you're if you're ready, we've got some cats here that you know if you're if you want another cat." And I just remember how that made me feel like, "Oh, she really cares about me. She was thinking about me." You know what I mean? Like, right. 
And so I went and I got this cat that I had for, you know, 17 years after that. Barney. Barney. Oh, mm-hmm. shout out to Barney. Yeah. And Charlie. Charlie was and your first. So you started off with cats. Mm-hmm. Were there dogs in the house as well, in the family yeah. house? Oh, we've always, we always had dogs. We always had some pet in the house. So I had um, Sarah, and she had a little puppy named Pup, who I got to I, I got to see being born when I was five. I remember it. I remember seeing it and seeing like I have this you know vision of this you know puppy coming out. It just seemed like oh, it's having a puppy. So there it is. You know, yeah. you know when you're five, you don't think. I don't really think about. Like no, no, no. Where did not, it come from? Obviously, yeah. nothing like that attached to yeah. it. It's just a very visual very. National Geographic situation, right? And well, and again, my dad was a physician, and so he would often take me, like when he had to go do an emergency thing, and I can remember him stitching up somebody's hand when I was six or seven, and me just standing there watching, and you know, asking the guy like, "Does it hurt?" And he's like, "No, he put something in there, so it won't hurt." And I was like, "That's cool." Never bothered me. Not. Not once have I ever been like squeamish about it. So in that beautiful household of uh, Brady Bunch that was going mm-hmm. on there in Iowa, was there music played in the house? Always. Music was very important on both sides. So uh, my dad, while he didn't often have music playing, he was um, a trumpet player through college and played oh, cool. at the University of Iowa. He was the principal trumpet player for the marching band and a singer up until maybe a year before he died. But my mom and my stepdad always had all of these records and the nice record player that we were not allowed to touch. And of course, <laughs> of course we would, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, we would always be grabbing their records. And that was, you know, things like everything from Willie Nelson, The Beatles, Fleetwood yeah. Mac, they had that, yeah, Simon and Garfunkel. The first song, I was thinking about this, the first record that I remember having mm-hmm. that was my record was Fox on the Run by Sweet. I love it. Do you low-key have singing chops? Am I going to find this out about you? Uh, I'm not a great not. singer, but I do sing. So you know I also do stand-up comedy. Some. So okay. for a while, I did some musical comedy stuff where you don't have okay. to really be a good singer. <laughs> and one of, my, one of my brothers is actually a music teacher. Oh, I mean, yeah. this whole family is so fascinating. And, oh my God, I have a random question for you. Wait, yeah. Captain Tennille Muskrat Love. Uh-huh. Do you know it? No, I know the song. I have to think about it a second. Here's, here's the reason it's hard for me is because every time I heard the title Muskrat Love, which I've heard many, many times is a famous song, I think of the song Sundown. You know, I don't know. Sundown, you better take care. Oh, you know? no, no, no. Because when I was a kid, <laughs> I thought the words were, Sundown, you better take care. If I find you've been screaming that a muskrat's there. <laughs> 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 For years, I thought those were the words. <laughs> Isn't it funny how many songs we fucked up in our uh. life like, that we don't really know the words to at all? Right. I mean, I was... I was uncomfortably old before I figured out what the words were to that song. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I talked about this with Kevin Kerslake. We were talking about, I forgot what the song was. We we're like, oh God, we didn't know it was about, oh, Afternoon Delight. Oh yeah. But we also had like our own rooms. And my brother, who's a music teacher, is a huge Styx fan, like fanatical Styx fan. So much so that he became like pen pals with the guy who's now the oh, drummer. Sure of sticks and like they talk about and they were like both at a sticks concert when they were kids 
And then one became the drummer first. Uh, Yeah, seriously. And so we, I heard a lot of sticks growing up. This is like, did you see on the news that really amazing uh, story where Pearl Jam was touring and their drummer got sick and they literally had some local kid from, oh my God, it's the coolest story ever. Like the drummer got sick and they reached out to like a school teacher in a high school to audition somebody to be a fill-in for the night. And this kid who was like 17, 18 years old that was an obsessed Pearl Jam fan, literally went, auditioned, got it, and did, played for 25,000 people. Nice. I can't even imagine. When I tell you this kid sat down at Mm -hmm. this drum set and was like right at home. like I got this, yeah. Knew every song. It was so beautiful. I cried my eyes out like an idiot. (laughs) Where, Where did the performer come? And you, where, right. where did this, right. this was obviously like you had, you made the choice. You said that you wanted to be a vet from early on, but yep. clearly there is a showman <laughs> well, living in that body. Probably since I was a little kid from the dancing from when I was like, you know, five years old, you know, I was in band through college as well. Like I was in the marching band in college. So kind of, oh, you were. yeah, yeah. So I, I kept going up with band and music right through. And then I didn't start doing like, like stand up comedy until I moved to LA. And that's when my sister was really happy because then she said, I actually had some new jokes. <laughs> <laughs> she was tired of the dad. Joke. She was tired of the same old jokes for, you know, 40 years. Cause that was my next question was mm-hmm. where did the stand up comedy come from? And uh, did you feel like you had to make a choice between the pursuing the veterinary path and the entertainment? Because, I mean, I feel like there's also a bit of an actor in you as well. There wasn't really a choice because I was always going to be a vet. So that was a pretty direct line. So okay. it was never really like came down to like, oh, I, I I never thought like, oh, I could be as a career somebody who performs. That didn't ever occur to me. Even and though, even though I probably, you know, I could, I could do that. I would co-sign that. Yeah. Finally, I've uh, since the pandemic is letting up some. I've done some more stand-up, and my girlfriend has gotten to see me do stand-up, and she said the same thing. She's like, you know, you could probably act too. Like, it also means a lot coming from the person who is in your ethers on the twenty-four-seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always feel like, you know, if you get accolades from somebody who's kind of removed from your daily life, whatever, it's mm-hmm. it, it's nice. flattering and it's amazing and mm-hmm. it's awesome. But when the person who is closest to you mm-hmm. can step outside of your relationship and right. look at your value as as a creative, yeah, that's the coolest thing. It is. And it's hard to do because she hears when I'm I've got a little nugget of a joke and I'm starting to like say it over and over and trying to figure out wh- where's the funny part of this joke, you know, for driving, she might go like, mm, that's not funny. And I get so, <laughs> you know, I get so frustrated. Like, I'm, not done yet. I'm not, yeah, I'm working it. I'm working, it, I'm working it. How long does it take to, what's the schooling uh, situation with becoming a vet? Like what's oh. the standard? I forgot to ask you that. Most people do uh, four years of undergraduate and then four years of veterinary school, so much like medical school. Um, and then once you get out of vet school, you can just, you know, you could hang up your shingle and you can go be a vet and you can get, you know, as long as you pass the boards, obviously, you can you can go do that. But a lot of people now 
are doing internships, so a one-year internship, and then if they want to become specialized, they would do a residency, which is three years. I went, uh, I actually got into vet school early, so I did three years of undergrad, four years of vet school, and then I went right out into practice. Uh, I got into a really awesome practice where there were veterinarians that were willing to hold my hand that first year and kind of you know teach me the ropes. Who is your mentor at that time? Dr. Cameron and Dr. Baslin. But Dr. Cameron was the one that I worked most closely with. And I she actually opened up her own place, and I went and worked for her for a while, too. She's a great vet. Still still the vet to my brother's dog up in Sunnyvale. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. The sauce is all about giving credit where credit is due. I love early mentors. I love is because these are the people that right that yeah. that are the framework of you of you being a creative of you taking the path that you're on. I bet you were a really good student too, weren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. You most, were a smarty pants. Most vets most vets are are good students. Yeah, I mean you don't get into vet school without being a good That's student. What I'm yeah, 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 yeah. I went to a lecture and it said that they looked at veterinarians as a group and we were more competitive than Olympic athletes. Why do you think that is? Like from a psychological standpoint? I think it's just, well, and it's a it's a tough thing for vets, right? Like you hear about veterinarians having a very high suicide rate. It's like three times, three and a half times the average. I'm uh, sorry, I've never heard that. Oh yeah, it's a real problem. Um, there's there's a whole group now called Not One More Vet. It's like it started out as a Facebook Are you group. No, it's a really, it's a real big problem. Wow. For a oh, couple the, of reasons. Built, the emotional responsibility of taking care of other people's pets and what they take mm -hmm. on from the, the clients. and Yeah, that, yeah. That's that part of it. Them? And the other part is, if you can imagine, people who are used to getting good grades, used to having the right answer, they um, are very competitive, and we go into a profession where we know we're going to lose. We're going to lose our patients. It's mm. always going to happen, right? We, it's just, it's just going to happen, and we're going to make mistakes. You know what I mean? Because nobody's perfect, you know. So we're going to miss things, or it, and it just, it just grates on us, and it's really emotionally draining. And then you add into that the fact that um, a lot of veterinarians come out with huge financial debt and don't mm. make very much money. It just, it adds and adds and adds. And then the last part of it is that we have access to ways of committing suicide that are very effective, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I want to dig deeper into that question. Yeah. It's, it's a very sad thing. And I think it's something that on my podcast, we try to talk about. We talk about suicide and suicide prevention. And we talk about the things that sort of lead to that, whether it's um, imposter syndrome or... What is that? Um, imposter syndrome is the feeling that you're not good enough and you don't really belong. And you know what? They're all going to, that's that, that voice in your head saying, oh, you're not really good enough to do this. It can really hold, hold people back. And burnout's a big part of it too. We work really, really hard and, you know, are always on, you know, those are the things that kind of contribute to it. That's also part of the reason why I like to have creative outlets, creative outlets and, exercise are my two big outlets of where I kind of let that some of that energy go. And if I'm not doing at least one of those things, then it's a, it can be, it's real tough on me. I'm cranky. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what cranky Mike looks like. <laughs> wow. It's really interesting. I never really thought about that. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. I mean, where do you vent and talk about your mistakes, right? Because when there's a fuck up, 
Mm-hmm. And you are only human in act, and I'm sure it's all circumstantial based on your each client is yeah. different. Yeah. So how do you vent? Where do you release that where you're like, oh my God, I fucked up? Yeah. That's where you need to have a good support group. Uh, therapy is is very important, I think, but it's also important to have peers that are are a support group. So like for me, it's the, the doctors I work with, but it's also people I went to school with. 25 years I've been talking to them. We've been talking to each other. And I still oh, will call Scott up, who's on my podcast with me, Dr. Scott. And you know, he and I will talk about what's going on. Or if I had something that I made a mistake, he'll be like, yeah, you could have that that you could have done better, you know, but also how to how to handle that going forward. When you make a mistake, mm-hmm. do you feel obligated? Like, do yeah. you share it all the time? It's such a weird space. It is. And in human medicine, they actually have um, something called morbidity and mortality rounds. Um, and that just means like where you sit down and you know you're going to go over a case that had a bad outcome. And the the point of it is to try and learn from that, right? Yeah. It's, suppo- it's supposed to be that. And at least where I'm at, we don't have something, you know, that, regimented that's that we know is going to happen it's more sitting down and talking and the hard part is like i have a new a new vet that just started with us and she's fresh out of school and so i keep telling her look we're 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 helping you we're watching over your shoulder we're not going to let you you know mess up too much <laughs> and so but but part of that is going to be when she does make a mistake to be like okay let's how do we handle this cuz sometimes oh. it's not a mistake it's just you know, nobody could have predicted this was going to happen. You know what I mean? And that's a very strange gray area. It is. Right? Okay, so this leads me to what's a common myth or something people constantly misunderstand about your profession? I wonder if it's, I I think there are two things. One is that we play with animals all day. How much interaction I have with the animals Outside of the the exam room, not as much. It's the technicians that do most of the work. So you have to have good technicians. Like you know who we have at our place. Who you shout out to every technician. We love you. We've got a really good crew, and I really like the crew how they handle animals that are afraid, and how they handle animals that are uh, nervous or aggressive. Over the years that I've been there, it's gotten better and better and better. We've got a really good crew right now, but that also means that the the whatever fifteen minutes that I'm in a room is about the only time I get to see the animals, and a lot of that is also spent talking. To the client. So the amount of time I actually spend handling animals is not as great, I think, as most people think. And the the second one is how much money we make. That's not that much. Mm. <laughs> like uh, uh, my girlfriend, who's a she's a labor and delivery nurse, and she told when we started dating, she told some of the other nurses like, "Oh, I'm dating, I'm dating a doctor, you know, a veterinarian." They're like, "Ooh, <laughs> cha-ching!" Awesome. And she's like, "No, it's not as good as you think." <laughs> Where no. did you meet, by the way? Just quick question on uh, the personals. I don't want to, you know, be intrusive, but how, where she, did you meet? At at work. She's a client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't ask her out, obviously. I mean, we've known each other now. She for, asked you out? Oh, yeah. I would never ask a client out. You cannot. Oh, that's that's a tip for all for everybody out there. If you're like into your veterinarian, they won't ask you out. It's not professional. 
it's but not I've heard perfect. it's not. But I've heard we did a whole one on like love and veterinary medicine, and like people that have met their you know husbands or wives or whatever through them being a client, and that like there was the attraction, and like people would be like, oh yeah, you know, if I saw them on that they were coming in, I would cancel appointments afterwards so I could spend more time talking to them, but would never say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my guilty pleasures is Hallmark movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Because no, I love love and I love love stories like that. This yeah. is a perfect Hallmark movie. Yeah. 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 I'm in love with my vet. Yeah. Well, I, I like her too. Morally, yeah. I can't ask her out. Ethically, right. it's not okay. Right. Is she going to ask me? Uh-huh. No. Uh-huh. Oh my God. He's not going to make the first move. I need to say something. And it happened. It did. Well, it, it mostly because of the pandemic. Because during the pandemic, one of the things I would do was you know, we weren't seeing the people, I would take a picture of me with the pet and like maybe send it to them and say like, here, we're inside. Everything's okay. Look how happy they are. You know, just to get, let people have some sort of connection. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how she got my number or I might've done it on Instagram. I can't remember what it was so that she could like through Instagram, see that I was, you know, everything was okay. And then we started talking that way. And even then I still wasn't, I'm still not, I wasn't going to ask her out. But you were into it. You were like, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm interested. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. So cute. <laughs> it's the cutest. Okay. So I just said my guilty pleasure. What's yours? I mean, and it doesn't have to be one. Um, what do you dork out on? Yeah. You're a Star Trek person. Yeah. I was just going to say Star Trek is, is a, and, and, uh, we just started playing D and D with all the doctors at work too. <laughs> <laughs> Once a month we get together, we play it's dungeons and doctors. Oh my God. It's <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's pretty, it is. It's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, it's a way to get together. And it's, you know, um, one of the doctors that actually went to another clinic, she still, we still get to see her once a month because, you know, we come in and we, we play D&D for a few hours on a Sunday. Ooh, we're going to get a little deep. Okay. What are you most proud of in your life thus far, personally and professionally? Most proud of person thus far. Thus far, I mean, yeah, day ain't over yet. Who knows? Day ain't what, over yet. Who knows what could happen today? I love that. Um, I ran the Boston Marathon. That's a pretty good one. Oh, saucy! Qualified, yeah, qualified for and ran the Boston Marathon. That was a big deal. I did not know that. Yeah. That's a lot of training. That was mm-hmm. that was tough. And I did a uh, a half Ironman. So those are two pretty good things. Yeah. Um. Okay, Doctor Mike. Yeah. Professionally, I don't know. I guess it's not one thing. It's just the uh, the connections I've made with people, uh, you know, throughout the years, and realizing that my my superpower, my veterinary superpower, is mm-hmm. really just being able to talk to people. And I feel like I can legitimately concur. Through all we've it's been, been a through lot. in a very short amount of time, yeah. you have a cape. It yeah. flows. You put it on. Yeah. Um, you you are statuesque and you stand when you need to. You yeah. get on one knee and you hug when you have to. Yeah. And yeah, I concur a hundred percent. What's your favorite word? Um, a word that you think is amazing that is indicative of where you are in life right now. Mm-hmm. I'll share and say that so mine right now is balance. That's a good one. Mine, I'm, I'm gonna right now. I'm gonna pick define 
So it's part mm-hmm. of one of my favorite sayings. I think it was Kara Goucher. She's a, a marathon runner. And she her mantra was define yourself. When I would be running and I would be really tired and wanting to quit and my, you know, just it's it's hurting, everything's terrible. You could just start thinking to yourself, like, this is it. This is your chance to define yourself. This is you get to decide right now if you keep going or not. I love that. Yeah, right. So, you know, but you can take that for your whole life. You're going to, you get to define what your life is. In any given moment, you can pull that right out the holster as a reset button. Mm -hmm. Yep. Define. This is it. When you you recognize Mm -hmm. those moments where things are tough or you aren't sure what to do, take a step back and think like, ooh, define. This is it. This is that time. Man, that's the best fucking word I've had. (laughs) I love that. Something materialistic and something mm. deep. Like it doesn't have to be all day. You can be goofy. Like I can't live without cheese. I do eat a lot of cheese. I do too. <laughs> Every okay. week I've, I, you know what I've done is I've been trying to like cut back my cheese because I got to watch my, my cholesterol because I'm over 50 now. And so. Is, it, is this also involved in your com- comedy act too? You're trying to cut back on the cheese? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to cut back on that cheese at all. I'll no, just throw it in. All yeah, that cheese. All the cheese. And, the, <laughs> um, but so instead of like five cheeses in the cheese drawer that I'm constantly <laughs> eating, it's only one now. So one at a I time. <laughs> right now in there, I have five. On um, I mean, there's so many. <laughs> like, first thought, what first thing that came to my mind was exercise of some kind. I love. Is that a new plant. thing, or that's a always? Always, thing. that's been my whole nice. life. Yeah, and from the time we were little kids, like my dad would be like, "We're going to run a five k," and so we would, you know, I love that. Yeah, we, we're the family that runs five k's on on Thanksgiving. Oh, fun. I mean, you guys are so cute. I just love the whole story. But I love how unified and how supportive and, you know, it's just a really cool dynamic that you had and perfectly imperfect and dysfunctionally functional. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. It's a good. Um, What's a goofy thing that you can't do without? Goofy thing. I like, do you binge watch like bad crap on? Oh TV yeah, or? I mean, and that changes all the time. Big Bang Theory, and I'm like, oh, that's me. The yeah. overachievers, the, the overachievers, super intellectuals, nerdy. Yeah. yeah, and and you kind of you mentioned it before. Like, did the athletics give me a pass for being like the nerdy guy? And it's it's funny because I think if people like, how did they see me? was I was in football and wrestling and track, and I did all these athletic things, and I was pretty good at them. But I was also you know, a good student, and a lot of people didn't know I was a good student <laughs> because I was so goofy. And they're like, what? He's, he's a good student? Really? I didn't know that. So, so when, I see the, <laughs> when I see the Big Bang people on there, you get it. I get yeah. That's how I feel on the inside. Okay, what's like a really bad thing that you're ashamed to say that you watch? Yeah, I wasn't that bad enough. Um, I mean, it is, but it's also was the number one fucking show in America for a very long time. Yeah, but it's yeah. pretty bad. Do you know Kaylee Coco? Mm-hmm. She is a competitive equestrian. Did you know that? I did not. Yes. Huh. I was a competitive equestrian uh, for the majority of my childhood. And that was something I found out about her that I thought was really fucking cool. And she just married a competitive equestrian and they have an entire farm. 
Oh yeah. Good for her. Yeah. So cool. Right. Like she's huge. She's got pigs. She's got horses. She's got dogs. She's a huge animal person. Love that. Yeah. Was it like dressage? Is that what you do? No. Show jumping. Show jumping. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Where I was from, it was like barrel racing and and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Iowa. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Iowa. Uh, What do you think is the most underrated attribute in a person? My last uh, episode was with the lovely director, Kevin Kerslake. Uh-huh. We had a really interesting conversation about this because I always think common sense <laughs> is so underrated. Yeah. And thoughtfulness, right? Those are yeah. two things that I feel fall so far below the trending radar. Yeah. And his was mindfulness. And it's just such a wacky world right now that I feel like it's good to, since so many people listen to podcasts, I feel Uh like it's great to have amazing people like you and like Kevin and Corey, who I've talked to, who throw out their suggestion and put it in the hat of, hey, guys, let's remember to be this. I mean, kindness. Yeah. I mean, just, so I would think if, in relating to other people, if you want to have good relationships, think about being kind to people, right? Just, just it doesn't hurt. It doesn't cost you anything just to be nice as your baseline. You know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to be kind to this person. But for a personal thing, if you want to get ahead, I think the thing that helps the most is grit or determination. Ooh. Like that's just, a cool, like juxtapose, right? So you can yeah. be kind, and but like, but that's the whole thing of like, how did I get through vet school? How did I do that? I just kept going. I was not going to stop. It just it not, tenacity, tenacity, grit, determination. I'm going to keep going, and it's the same way. You know, you finish a marathon is you're like, I'm just going to keep going. I heard a great uh, uh, quote. Somebody said, your, your life doesn't change when you cross the finish line of a marathon. Your life changes when you decide to show up at the start line. Was there something that was going on personally that made you start wanting to do these type of things where you were like, all right, I've become complacent in this area or not uh, to take away from how much you obviously love your profession, but I've always had the focus on veterinary medicine, the focus on performing, and the focus on athletics. Those are sort of the three things that I do a lot of. Um, It's your trinity. It is. Sometimes in my life, I'll do less of one thing, and and that throws me out of balance for sure, as you were saying. And so for a long time, I didn't I didn't run after I got out of vet school. I didn't run very much. I was rock climbing a little. I was doing a little of this, but I wasn't like having focused exercise. I didn't have a goal that I was going towards. And, and it was actually my therapist who was like, you know, what, what, why did you stop? Is there something you really want to do? I was like, you know what? I, I don't know. And she's like, well, why don't you like pick a run and then work up to it and go, go do it. And that got me started back in again after a few years out of not, of just not doing any sort of focused competition things. And how many amazing, beautiful things came out of making that one decision? like, you know, so like an untold number of things. Okay. Now we're going to unleash the vet. Here we go. Here we go. What is the most common mistake people make when it comes to their pets? Ooh, I would say that it's thinking they know things that they don't or that they should know. I'm going to get a dog. I should just know how to take care of this dog. 
Well, that's a big one, but it is a big one. It just sort of, it's there, you know, people are like, yeah, we had dogs when I was growing up. I should be able to just take care of this dog. And there's so much that, you know, you're not expected to know all of the things about how to train a dog and what, uh, what it needs medically, but that's why you go to a vet and they're, they can help direct you training and socialization. Most people are very good at it when they have puppies but once that puppy gets to be about six months or so, you get sort of complacent. You get used to having it around, and you're not thinking, I have to continue training. I have to continue socializing this animal. And so then you have an animal that doesn't get much socialization from the time it's, say, six months to a year or even 18 months. And that's a huge learning time for them as well. It'd be like if a kid from the time they were eight until they were 14, for example, didn't ever see any other people and was just inside the house it's easy to get into that habit of like, oh, you know how to not pee in the house. And instead of taking you for a walk and working on training with you, I'm just going to stay at home because I'm tired. Ay. Not everybody should have kids and not everybody should have animals. That is true. And not everybody should have the animal that they have. I've seen older people who lose an older animal and then are like, I'm going to get a new, and somebody gets them a puppy. People think... I'm going to get this breed because it has these characteristics. And then they get an individual that's an outlier. Do you know what I mean? Not every lab is super easy and friendly. Some are difficult. Some have just ADD energy and just can't, can't focus and really need somebody that can work with them and work with them and work with them. It's such a responsibility. I also have to recognize that there are different levels of care. So having... All my animals on my bed, sleeping on my bed is okay for me. But there are plenty of people that have dogs like this, that their job is to sleep with the cattle or the sheep and keep the coyotes away. And that's what they do. I, I think that, you know, farmers that have animals that sleep outside that, you know, just ride in the truck with them and then stay out in the, in the barn the rest of the time, they don't necessarily love them less. And that isn't subpar care, in my, in my opinion. As long as they're getting food, water, shelter, and you know, basic needs taken care of. And when it comes time that they're suffering, that they don't continue the suffering. Well, I think that's a very nice thing for you to say. And, and I have a really hard time wrapping my head around that. It's a different relationship. It is. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just different. I think the most important thing for me as a veterinarian and as a person, is to not judge those people that their relationship, which is different than what I would want with an animal, is not necessarily bad, but also to have my eyes open if it is a bad relationship. Do you know what I mean? Like there are sure. times that it's like, oh, that they're not taking care of that animal. That can also present itself in somebody who lets their dogs sleep in the house or absolutely. Yeah. My job is to be an advocate for the animal and for the people. Right. Like I'm my job is to help the animal through helping the people help the animal. What is your opinion on DNA testing? Oh, D I get this question. Every I, I I feel like it Do yeah, you I feel like they're legit, not legit. I think they're legit. I think that, um, but we also have to ask what information we're actually getting from that. So if we know that they're, uh, you know, 40% boxer and, you know, 10% lab and, you know, some, some other mix of things, what, mm -hmm. what do we get from that other than knowing like, oh, that's kind of interesting. 
it's getting better and we're going to get to the point where we can start to look at you know disease processes and be like oh are they at higher risk for a di- one particular disease for mixed breeds a lot of times you don't you, we don't know that just yet and so we don't know how important is it say for uh, an animal that's 80% boxer can they still get say the boxer cardiomyopathy for example and how much how much weight do we put on that information for now i don't i'm not quite i'm not quite convinced it's from a health person yeah, exactly but looking at it and seeing like oh yeah that what the different mixes are i think is really interesting and fun so i just wanted to know your opinion hmm. on that well if you think mm-hmm. about the breed like cuz all the breeds came from somewhere so like and some of them they can trace back to very specific mixes. So like Dobermans and things like that came from like, they know when that breed started and it was made. One of the problems they're running into now is inbreeding and how bad inbreeding gets, sets up for bad, bad health problems. If you look at bulldogs, American bulldogs, they're they're horrible now. I mean, it's terrible. And if you look at what they looked like a hundred years ago, they don't look anything like that, you know? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, look up a picture of, you know, a bulldog from 100 years ago. I mean, you can kind of see the resemblance, but, you know, they aren't quite so smushy-faced. You know, they aren't quite so teeny tiny waisted and and not quite so short and stocky with the elbows sticking way out to the side. You know, they just don't live very long and it's the inbreeding. Yeah. That sucks. It does. It's a problem. I, it is a problem. With that being said, I would assume that you're much more encouraging of not going to breeders. But let's just say you are a person who's like, I have to have a purebred something, mm-hmm. which I don't understand. But again, with someone who wants to buy from a breeder, what is your checklist? Oh, yeah. I think you absolutely have to be able to see one of the parents, you know, probably the mother, because that's what they're what they're with, and what the conditions are that they live in, how many other puppies were there in the in the litter how many how many litters has this mom had um you know all, all of those kinds of things what kind of socialization are they having at very early are they being handled are they not being handled um you know what kind of uh medical treatments are they getting so if you have go to a breeder and the breeder's like no you can't see no i i don't want you to see where they where i keep big the dogs flag. big red flag I mean, they should at least be like, oh, yeah, we, we can show you if I don't want you coming to my house because that's weird. But at least you should be able to be like, oh, yeah, can you send me pictures of where they've been kept? What kind of environment have they been kept in? And if it's mm. if it doesn't look very good, then... Stay away from Craigslist 100% people. Yeah. Listeners, please don't. Okay, last question in this section, which I think is important to mirror this on the adoption rescue side. What would you tell people to look out for red and green flags when they want to adopt rescue from a rescue organization? So similar kinds of things. Where is the animal being kept? Is it with other animals? Is How is the dog with... Um, you know, whatever your lifestyle is. So if you have kids, has the dog been around kids? How is it with kids? How is it with loud noises? Those are the kinds of questions you want to ask when you're rescuing one. If they have a 501c3, so if they're like a legit, you know, um, yeah, philanthropic, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, that's a, but that's something they have to apply for and get. So they've done the work to become a 
certified charity like that. I want to, I'll slide back to the basics really quick. How often should somebody take their animal to the vet? Once a year. And when they get older, oh. maybe twice a year. Oh, for minimum. like a standard minimum. checkup. Yeah, minimum. Okay, but that doesn't include manicure, pedicure, rear end situation for Correct. like dogs and cats, right? Yeah, How often yeah. should that be? Basic grooming type stuff varies widely from individual to individual. Manicure, pedicure, stuff like Ben, I never cut his nails, only his dew claws occasionally because oh. um, his nails stay short. Chewy, the other dog, needs his nails trimmed every couple of weeks. Yeah, same with Mookie. Yeah, and and as far as anal gland type stuff, almost Gross. never on mine. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's it's wildly variant. More breeds than others, or no? It's a good question. Uh, not that I'm aware of. So crazy! I thought yeah. it was like a regular thing. Okay. Yeah. Oh shit! Look at me learning <laughs> things from Doctor Mike. Okay, food, food, food. Yep. Uh, do me a favor. Can you please tell everybody out there not to feed their goddamn animals from the table? <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell everybody that that is, uh, depends on what they're feeding. There are many foods that people can eat that dogs cannot. Grapes, chocolate, uh, onions, garlic, um, uh, xylitol is in a lot of um, like artificial sweetener stuff, really toxic to dogs. Those are kind of the main ones. Okay. And okay. then the other part of that though is, is if you're feeding them from the table, they're going to beg at the table. This is what I'm saying. And you can't, it's up, that is up to you. If you don't mind a dog that's begging all the time, then by all means, but, but don't get mad at it when it does. Common allergies that most people are unaware of or wouldn't even notice or check for in regards to food. We see a lot of allergies to uh, chicken, but I think that's because chicken is in everything right now. So tw I've been doing this 25 years. And so 25 years ago, it was wheat, and then it was corn, and now it's chicken. And it's whatever mm -hmm. they're using most commonly in dog foods, that's what you're going to see the most allergies to because that's what they're exposed to the most. Hmm. So you're meaning more like process of elimination, like you're seeing it more, so you're seeing more of the ones who have the allergies to it. Exactly. You're not going to see a lot of allergies to kangaroo meat if there's not kangaroo meat in the food. I never knew that Foxy was having, you know, hot spots and, yeah. you know, certain reactions to things because she was, in fact, allergic to chicken, which was in her food, so I had to change her yeah. diet. And sometimes you change the diet and it fixes it. And sometimes it doesn't because they can be allergic to something in the air. They can be allergic to dust mites. They can be allergic to people dander. They're what? Like, like people are allergic to dogs. Dogs can be allergic to people. You better shut up. I would, I would really? never. Yeah, for real. It's on the, it's on the list of, of allergens when we do allergy testing on them. I'm going to give you a Blanche Devereaux right now and say, get out of here. <laughs> Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of funky too. Yeah. It's not very common, but it happens. Okay. Here we go. We'll keep going. Crate training. Yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs up. When they're puppies, however many months old they are, add one. That's how many hours you can go at. Gotcha. So a three month old can go four hours. I would not leave a dog in a crate more than, you know, five or six hours at a time. More important question. What bedding material do you put inside said crate for a puppy? Yeah, something that cannot be torn up and eaten. Mm -hmm. 
And if you have the crate near a bed or like in your bedroom, make sure they can't reach over and grab the down comforter and pull it into the crate and destroy it and have feathers everywhere. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one though. How big of a crate should people get? I've always had the wire ones and felt that that worked well, but I've also covered them with a blanket to make it sort of feel comfy a little bit. The crate should be big enough for the dog to stand up and turn around, and that's about it. If it's bigger than that, then they'll go and pee in a corner and then go to the other side of the crate and and lay down. I tell people you want it to be like a den that they would crawl into and go to sleep. They want it, you want them to feel like it's their safe it's their place. Safe space. Absolutely. Yeah. Talking about puppies and crating and all that. All right. So when you adopt a puppy, what would you say are the first things that people should consider Uh, being realistic about how much time you have to devote to it, uh, especially in the puppy stages, if it's a puppy, because it takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And how much? Like, let's just scare people and say how much time Mm -hmm. really, really. And this isn't like, you know, people made a lot of dumb mistakes during the pandemic. And then now everybody's back to getting into whatever the new version of their lives are. And then they got a four-legged kiddo at home who's confused. Right, right. And and adult dogs like like Ben, you know, he's a year and a half now. He he can handle a lot more alone time than he could when he was a puppy. But I had to be when he was a puppy, I was, you know, had to deal with him like every hour or two that I was home. And at night he would be I would get him up, get up with him a couple of times during the night. He would wake me up at five in the morning to go to the bathroom and then he was up. He wanted to do things. And then about the time it was time for me to go to work, he'd be like, okay, I'll take a nap now. And so I'd take it, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to take him to work because of what I do. And, um, you know, but even at work, I'd have to go up and, you know, take him out several times, you know, during the morning. And then there's training time. You know, I would work with him probably an hour a day. And then, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less. A cat is obviously much more independent, but a dog, especially depending on the breed. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no excuse now because the internet is at your fingertips. (laughs) You can do research on any breed, any breed, find out what the best fit is for your lifestyle. Absolutely. And then thinking about the individual beyond that. And that's a harder thing too. Like, how do you pick a good individual? And this is where, you know, maybe talking to a vet ahead of time would be a good thing to do. Calling up. I've had people call me up and be like, oh, we're thinking about getting this dog. It's like, you know, what do you think about this one? It's like a kid. Yeah. You know, if you put in the work, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you give them the proper tools, Mm -hmm. you give them consistency you love the shit out of them, but also discipline Mm -hmm. and structure and all of these things. But the key, I think, I don't know if you would agree is consistency. Just so they know what to expect. You know what I mean? Because they like routines, right? They they do. Yeah. Like it. And it's just, well, so do we, you know, and they're, you know, we're just looking, we want to do the same things and know what we're doing. And we have less anxiety when we know what's going to happen. And they're the same way. If they know how, what they're supposed to do and how to make good things happen in their life, they're going to be calmer, better animals. So would you agree with the, there are no bad animals, just bad parents? I just had this conversation with, do you know who Temple Grandin is? 
she's a um, uh, animal behaviorist, um, but she is also autistic. And she designed a lot of the, you know, like how cattle go into slaughterhouses so that they wouldn't be scared. I did not know that's a thing. Oh my God. She's the first one who started thinking about it. Like, how do these animals think? Why are they getting scared? You know, we don't want them to be scared. We want them to be like, everything's fine. And then gone, done. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you want. That's the ideal. That's not what usually happens. Oh God, this is awful and wonderful. All in the same package. Exactly. So Temple Grandin is very famous for that. She's written many books. Uh, One of them is, um, I think it's called, living through pictures or seeing in pictures or thinking in pictures, thinking in Uh pictures, because as uh, an advocate for autism and growing up with autism, she had to deal with very different things. And she actually built like a squeeze machine because she would get overstimulated and she built this machine she could go into and like close it up on her and it would squeeze her. Like a thunder coat. Like a thundercoat. Yeah, exactly. And wow. so she and I were having this, and she doesn't think that there are, are bad animals. And I I mean, I can see the, you know, I, I would never say there's never any bad animals, um, because there are some that are just crazy. You know what I mean? There are some that are just way off, just like there are some people that are like, uh, yeah. It's an imbalance. Yeah. And I would say that's by far the exception and not the, like, those are like the, you know, not not even one in a million, but very often there's the wrong animal for the wrong person. And that's what I wanted to touch on was there are so many things that I think are uh, common sense conversations and information that isn't being maybe discussed or isn't being made so readily available in inquiries with different rescues or breeders or whatever uh, for people who could get a bunch of information and really sit down and think about it first before making an impulse buy or move like with a family who have a dog. Yeah. And then, Oh my God, we're pregnant. Yeah. There is a whole thing that you can do to set your dog up for success. So you have a smooth, inclusive Mm -hmm. transition that is never discussed. When people uh, have a dog and they are just getting a new uh, a new baby, there's all sorts of things. I mean, a lot of the information you'll find will be like, make sure you have get the dog used to the new baby sounds. You can have baby sounds playing all the time. You can have uh, the baby's clothes. Um, you know, if there's a new crib. You know, anything that's new, get the dog used to it ahead of time. So get them used to that. One of the mistakes I think people make is they've got this new baby and then they they're walking around with this baby and they're ignoring the dog and then they put the baby down and the baby's asleep and then they're finally like okay I'm going to go pay attention to the dog now. And now the dog's like, well every time this little thing's around they ignore me and then when it's gone they pay attention to me. Man, I hate that thing. So do it the other way around. When you've got the baby, pay attention to the dog give it treats, make it sit, make it do anything. When you put the baby away, kind of ignore the dog. And pretty soon the dog's going to be like, now every every time that little thing's around, they they give me treats and you know, I love that thing. Bring that thing around more. That thing is yeah. awesome. The other one is if you have a, a house with a young child, I always say don't buy the dog stuffed animals, toys, because the dog doesn't know how to differentiate 
between a stuffed animal that's his or hers or a stuffed animal that belongs to the kid. That's true. That is absolutely true. Or a sock. Yeah. Don't buy the Mm -hmm. dog toys Mm -hmm. that are also part of your daily life because the dog doesn't know how to decipher between the two. They don't. And in fact, Ben loves socks. He will grab them. He grabs socks and he wants to play tug of war. He just wants to carry them around, but he doesn't destroy them. So I kind of gave up. I'm like, okay, you can carry socks around. (laughs) It's fine. How do you feel about tug of war? I am not an advocate of the tug of war. Depends on the, on the dog and it depends on the person. Um, Ben, my rules for if you're going to play tug of war with your dog, the one very important rule is that if teeth touch skin on accident, you're tugging and they grab your hand, the game stops. Teaching a dog a drop command or let go of it is super important too, because um, that way you can stop the game whenever. But if teeth touch hand, then then they'll start to learn like, oh, if I want to keep playing this fun game of tug, I have to be very careful with you wimpy humans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, for somebody who always has bully breeds, I stay away from anything that is grab it and pull on it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's not necessary. It's not, it's not. Ben likes to play a little bit and, and we play tug a little bit, but he's also very good because I've worked with him about letting go of things when I ask him to let go of things. And if the game, if I want the game to stop, the game stops. He doesn't, he doesn't control when the game stops. I do. There you go. But I also reward him when he's good. When he drops something, gives it to me, he gets a reward for that. And that's a big part of it, yeah, Yeah, is making sure that you do the rewarding all the time. Every time. Okay, so training, let listeners know how imperative you think it is, but also what about for the listeners who are on a budget? Necessity for training is super priority, right? So the difference between a dog you love to come home to and when you have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of good ones on, on, on YouTube. There's a guy called Zach George and Z-A-K-G-E-O-R-G-E. He's awesome. His training videos are, you know, are very good. They're not the two minute video. Like it's going to fix this in two minutes. It's like, you know, you're going to invest some time watching. He's going to show you like the ups and the downs and when things work and when they don't. And that kind of helps troubleshoot things, I think. And there's a great book, uh, called Perfect Puppy in Seven Days, if you can find that one. It's really good by Sophia Yin, Y-I-N. Yeah, I think that's super important coming from you because I think people get intimidated and think, I can't afford a trainer. I can't, where again, there's so much information and in, uh, research uh, available at your mm-hmm. fingertips. Speaking of bully breeds, um, we could just say really quickly how much you love and adore the amazing magical unicorns that are bully breeds. I do, I do. I had Tallulah was my bully that I had. I do not focus on any of the negatives and it does irritate me every time somebody (laughs) says the one liner of think it's such a bad rock. So I only want to focus on the positives. Is there something that you could say really quickly for uh, those who are interested in adopting or bringing a bully breed into their home that you feel is a common uh, mistake or misconception. We've mentioned training, how important that is. I think that's really, I think it's extra important with bully breeds because anytime something goes wrong, two dogs get in a, even if it's not a big fight, if they're just yelling at each other, it's always your dog's fault if you have a bully breed. Do you know what I mean? That Like it's, it's actually protecting your dog, get it trained. If I'm hearing you correctly, is that's because of the misconception. Because the dog itself, they are 
beautiful, lovely, chill dogs. I yeah. mean, they're high energy because they're terriers. Yeah. But and they're they can be big and have a lot of energy and they can knock a little kid down. But if a lab knocks a little kid down, people are like, oh, it's a lab, and you know, it's just goofy. But if a bully breed knocks a kid down, it was attacking it. Important to be a responsible dog owner when you have dogs that are discriminated upon. Take the extra time to be to be very careful that they're the best dog ever. Yeah, right? We want to be yep. the poster campaign for the breed. Yep. What is the most aggressive breed? Facts. <laughs> well, first you have to define what it means to be aggressive. Like what do you mean like which one okay, bites the what, most? What breed does the emergency room see well, the most? That would be uh, dog bites from I think right now it's still up there with labs, but that's just because there there's so many of them. The ones that when I see the ones that are most likely to bite are probably little ones, some like a chihuahua or something like some little bitty thing. But they don't send kids to the emergency room as often because they're little. But they Another common misconception. Yeah, with, for sure. And I'm not just talking about bully breeds. I'm talking about mm -hmm. Dobermans, Rottweilers, Huskies, Chows. You know, it's very difficult for those of us who uh, look for, you know, apartments to live into where there are all of these discriminatory bullshit yeah. you know, insurance requirements for aggressive breeds when mm -hmm. those are not the ones who are really doing all the... Yeah. No evidence that any breed-specific legislation makes anybody safer. And it's mainly because dog bites that actually kill people are so rare. Like, it just, it does happen, but it's so exceedingly rare that if you make a law and it doesn't happen for 20 more years, well, maybe it just wasn't going to happen anyway because it doesn't happen very often. Right. Okay. Oh, ooh, big ones. Okay. Spay, neuter, the health and disposition advantages. Um, Myth or fact? It is fact that there are all sorts of health reasons for spaying and neutering, uh, not the least of which is that in the United States, we still have millions of dogs that are uh, euthanized just because they don't have homes for them. They're perfectly healthy, right. but they do. So um, that's a big one. UC Davis has actually started looking into some of the health benefits, decreasing the chances of mammary cancer if you spay them early versus letting them uh, go through a heat cycle or two might be decreasing the chances of some orthopedic problems. You know, talk to your vet about that. Depending on the breed, it might change. Can we uh, speak specifically to the testosterone forward male who insists that his dog must keep his balls because <laughs> it is uh, stealing his masculinity. But hey, look, if you're not going to let your dog have sex and, you know, breed, how sad a life is that, that it just wants to all the time and can't? There you go. Okay. Huh? okay. Maybe uh, that's the thing. <laughs> okay. As a part of that, which is rare, but often enough, especially with as many um, adoption and, and rescue dogs that there are out there. What if you adopt and take on an adult dog that hasn't been spayed or neutered? More difficult surgery to do a spay when they're older than it is when they're younger, um, but it would probably still <clears throat> be a benefit health-wise to do it. Okay, but it's and, not. it doesn't make it more dangerous no. to the dog the, late, the older it is. I would say no. I'm I'm doing myth busting here. Yeah. It's like a multi-gajillion dollar industry pet merchandising and food yeah. and all yeah. of these things, right? Mm -hmm. 
So I am always thinking from a philanthropic standpoint for what could help dogs, uh, dog, you know, parents uh, in their situations. And two areas that I think are overlooked and not really discussed enough is people Mm -hmm. who literally cannot afford to save their dogs because they Mm -hmm. don't have the money for Mm -hmm. surgeries Uh, that could, in fact, you know, give them a, a good extension of their life. And elderly people or people mm-hmm. who pass away yeah leave animals behind that they app that are their world who now mm-hmm. these animals all of a sudden have nothing and nowhere to go yeah it's interesting there yeah on my podcast where these are some of the things we're talking about like we just did um one that's going to be coming out in a few weeks we just recorded it uh with an estate planner like how do you think what do you do with your animal if you pass away oh, like, how do you plan for that how do you yeah. make those plans? So that'll be an interesting one. That's coming out in oh, I would love three or four to talk weeks. to you about that. Yeah, it's interesting. And then I'm recording one this weekend with uh, Dr. Courtney Campbell, who has been doing research on veterinary care deserts. So there are places, especially in urban areas, where there aren't veterinarians, and not surprisingly, it's usually places that have uh, my- large minority populations. Right and what does that mean for public health and what does that mean for the health of the animals and you know what can we do about that and so there are lots of charities out there that are helping everything from homeless people with pets to there's a, a group in um i think they're out of austin called emancipet and they do low cost veterinary care for um for you know low income people is that something that you would be interested in doing in in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Um, I've been talking with the Emancipet people, and just they also want to pay the vets very well. And so, right. like, how do they actually figure that out? How do they, you know, reconcile those two things? And part of it is that they, you know, are subsidized somewhat by charity. Yeah, those are. I mean, there's just so much money to go around. It would be nice to see it fall into these yeah. like pockets that are overlooked um cancer mm-hmm. is that the number one it it's a big one especially for dogs for cats we see a lot of cancer but also a lot of um renal disease in cats so kidney disease is that one and we don't know why we don't know why you know why do so many cats end up with um kidney failure when they're older you know is it just the way they're built and their genetics or is it something it about crazy that after yeah. all of the research and all of the money and all of that just like with humans we still can't figure out but right. you know the other thing too is cats and dogs are living longer and longer lives or more of them are living longer and longer lives um just like with people the average age of animals is skewing older and older. And it's because we've done such a good job of taking care of the communicable diseases like parvo and, and distemper. They live long enough to get these older animal diseases now. When people hear the word cancer, it doesn't immediately mean you have to give up hope because she certainly was a huge success story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you found that cancer and... We had deep conversations about it. Listeners, I'm sorry. This is a tough one for me. And um, you gave me choices. And we decided to take a shot, right? And she had it in her leg. You did the amputation, which was a really hard decision to make. But I want to tell this story only to encourage other people not to give up hope. So 
just drive that message quickly home because I think it's such a huge thing because it's just so common, the cancer, especially with bully breeds. It is. And to remember that when we say, when veterinarians or doctors or anybody says something like they have six months or two months to live with this kind of cancer, that's that's an average. Some live much longer, as you know, yeah. Yeah. right? Some We're just going with the statistics. We can say this, but some also live much shorter lives. Some, we would do the amputation and in two weeks, we already find tumors in the chest. You know what I mean? It, it, there's a wide range of what could happen. But to me, there's not just hope for remission and even cures in some in, with some kinds of cancers, but there is hope for decreasing their suffering. And even so with uh, Foxy, even if the cancer had come back into the chest relatively quickly, you know, like we kind of thought it might, um, you know, she wouldn't hurt anymore. I mean, she was 10 days later walking around on that leg like nothing had happened. Even if she only got another six months, they would have been great, six great months. We got a year and a half. It was 18. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's an outlier. That's way past when we would expect it to. But, you know, that's why you never know. She was not ready to go. Nope. No. Uh, and, she, and she didn't hurt. Some ones just really stand out, and she was mm-hmm. special. Yeah. And so, you know, I've thanked you a million times before, <clears throat> but thank you again. And this show is about multi hyphenate. So it's about yeah. all the other things that you do that keep you afloat. I, I, I do get that there are veterinarians that this is all they do. You know, they don't do anything else except veterinary medicine, veterinary medicine. But for me, I need, I need to branch off a little bit and, and do other things. I think there are, I think people think that, that veterinarians are like, I'm going to be a vet and I'm going to be in private practice, small animal vet, and just do that for 50 years. And I think that is a pretty unusual path, at least these days. Most, most people take deviations in their lives. If you could take one right now, what would it be? That's a good question. I'd probably uh, do more stand-up, do performing of some kind. Yeah, you're a ham bone. I am. I, I, yeah. Who was who was your comedy mentors? Oh, we gotta we gotta have a shout out to my comedy mentor, uh, Bobby Oliver. Yeah. She runs the uh, Dow Comedy Studio, and she has a book, The Dow of Comedy. When I moved to LA, a friend was like, you should do stand-up comedy. And I was like, there's a difference between being like funny socially and doing stand-up. I get that. And they're like, oh, I took this uh, class with this woman named Bobby Oliver. You should take this workshop with her. And so I did it and just kind of never looked back. She the Strasberg of uh, comedy? Yeah, but better. What about comedians? Uh, we just saw um, Tig Notaro. Uh, she just cracks me up. I don't know who that is. Oh, uh, she's great. She's and and she's been on Star Trek, so she's double awesome. <laughs> it's a double yeah. whammy. Yeah, Mike. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, she did a a show at the Largo on the day she found out she had breast cancer. Whatever you think about, um, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? The oh gosh, Louis C.K. Louis, it was Louis C.K. show. And you can't do video recording at the Largo, but they audio recorded it. And to help her raise money for her medical treatments, he said, download it and send us $5. You can download it and not send us $5, 
but please send us five dollars and and like like millions of people I think did it was, oh, right. it was great and so she comes out and she's just like it was like it was like what stand-up comedy can be where it was just totally raw hilarious and you know uh really like you just could feel what she was going through and she didn't have to get up and do that but she that did was, and it was that was her therapy it was it was the bravest thing I've ever heard anybody do and it unified people. It did. So love her. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I saw them Ugh. in conversation. Uh, they're, team. Yeah, they're they're pretty amazing. They're just... Those two ladies, I mean, man, oh man, yep. spirit animals yep. they are. Growing up, I mean, of course I loved Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy, um, George Carlin. Stop. I loved Stephen Wright. Oh yeah. my God, that hair was just... Oh, I, so I used to just imitate him and just, I could tell all of the jokes from his 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 uh, album. You know, those were ones we listened to over and over and over. I saw Bill Cosby when I was a kid. Ooh. Hmm? How'd that That's go? It. Uh, I was probably 10 years old and saw him in Dubuque, Iowa. And, and it was probably really funny back then. It was. I can remember sitting there just, my stomach hurt from laughing so much. He was funny. He was funny. Man, what, what a turn a, that took. Mm, what a yeah. dickhead. Yeah, he is a piece of shit. You can't do that. Listen, karma is a motherfucker. It is. It'll get you. You can't run. It's even worse when you're able to run for like 30, 40 years, and Just, then it snatches you up Yeah, when you're at the end of the line. Yeah. And I'm glad this stuff is coming out and people are like the reckoning is happening, the Me Too movement, because I remember hearing about Louis C.K. and you know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, don't ever be in a room alone with him to, to the women. You know what I mean? Mm. And stand-up comedy is kind of a dangerous thing for women to do out on the road by themselves. It's not like, you know, I, I, I don't have to deal with the things that women has to deal with. I mean, I just no. don't. And I can't, I can't even, I can um, intellectually understand that these things happen, but I can never feel what it feels like. Feel them. It's a whole different thing. It is. Being a woman in a man's world professionally mm -hmm. is, Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know all about it because yeah. that was my yeah. entire last 22 years. Yeah. The most interesting takeaway from that that I learned personally was when when the men don't take accountability because they don't have to. Right. And it is, oh, she's a bitch and she's difficult to work with. Difficult. Because you speak your mind and because you're like, yeah, no, that's not how it's going down. And it's, uh, no, I need the same rate that this guy is making or don't speak to me that way. Then you're difficult. Yeah. I love men. They're amazing. Not all men are cut from this cloth, but yeah, I have a friend who, uh, you know, works at a big company here and she's in charge of a group and she gets talked over and, you know, mm -hmm. and she's thought of as difficult, but if a man does that, he's assertive. Exactly. Yeah. And that is, uh, I think the more men like yourself who vocalize that, yeah. share it, women can say it all day long because this is what we live. This is our this is our experience on a regular basis, and we fight the good fight. And you know, those of us who have daughters push that yeah. agenda along to our daughters and and give them the the skills and the tools they need. But I think the more men like you who mm. 
it, yeah. it really does help. And guys, when you're when you're like me and you and then you say something wrong or do so, or you do that thing and you get called out on it, you're going to get mad and defensive, but then try to like take a step back and go like, "Oh yeah, I did do that. I'm sorry." Yeah, it's not rocket science. It's just ego. Mm-hmm. Narcissism is uh and fear. It, that yeah. combo package is a beast. So, I do this segment called mm-hmm. Three the Hard Way. What are three things that you could pay forward to an aspiring vet or someone, you know, in the field, whatever they want to do in regards to animals that you learned the hard way that you could pass on to them? Yeah. Take care of yourself because you can't take care of anybody else if you're not taking care of yourself. Perseverance. Stick with, if you want to be a vet and you really want to, it's not about being the smartest. It's about who works the hardest. Love it. Um, And the third thing is to enjoy the the wonderful moments when they come up, to really take some time to think about those and be present in those moments. And they're going to come through your whole life, through vet school, through being a vet. You're going to have things that happen that are just wonderful or somebody says something nice to you. But take a moment to soak those in because you'll need them. As we wrap it up, I have to ask you... um, what is next for you? And please let me know what's going on with the podcast and the future of it. The Vets Unleashed is, uh, I think we're in season five. We're almost to 100 episodes, something we do wow. every other week. And we're going to keep going another, at least another season. Uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. So that's going to keep going. We're looking at doing a lecture series for veterinarians. Oh, I um, love that. Yep, discussing, and I'll be discussing communication within the exam room and using humor in the exam room. Oh, um, I love that. So that goes into my years of doing stand-up comedy. Um, that's what I've been doing mostly. And then I have my YouTube channel and that's the Bowtie Vet Guy. Well, listeners, for those of you who have animals, um, you're welcome because this was just <laughs> gem upon gem upon gem of information. For those of you who don't, I hope you consider only if you have the time to dedicate to doing so. And I will have all of the links up and available. Please uh, follow Mr. Mike McClanahan, a.k.a. Uh, Bowtie Vet Guy, at Bowtie Vet Guy on Instagram, and you'll get a better sense into uh, why we all love him so much for all of the amazing things that he does, as well as his amazing soundtrack of his life that I am so <laughs> excited to do with him. He's got so many great songs on this playlist that will, as you know, be released simultaneously with this episode. So if you don't follow us, please do so on all of your podcast platforms. And thank you, Mike. I will let you go. All right. Um, You're the best. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right, baby. I will see you soon. This episode is dedicated to Miss Foxy Brown. Sorry, guys. This uh, episode was very, very emotional for me. It's uh, always difficult for me to talk about, but she was the greatest and I wouldn't have changed a thing. The amputation surgery that we did bought her uh, 18 additional months. And honestly, out of the 12 years that I had her, it was probably the most important and amazing time that uh, we had together. She was my my rock, and uh, yeah, not a day goes by that I don't think about her. Yeah. 
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. It was great talking to Dr. Mike. Man, we, whoo, what a labor of love. That was four hours worth of interview content that I had to edit down to an hour and a half. Very difficult, but he had such great uh, tips and resources and stories and information. So all of the bonus content and additional information is going to be on the website. We got a little website. You want to pop over there? It is thesauce.me. And there are special features on there and additional content of people, places, and things that we think that you should know about, things that we highlight and feature There's so many amazing people doing so much great work in regards to the rescue world and the philanthropic world. And um, so we'll have a bunch of stuff over there. If you want to pop over and check it out, we are getting ready to gear up for episode number four and five this week. So if you're not following us, jump on over to wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe as well as... The Spotify page, which is my DJ page, is DJ88 slash Brie Delano. And hit that follow button. There is a ton of different playlists. Uh, You could choose your poison, but that is also where the soundtrack of your live series is housed. So you can go and check out previous guests' soundtracks, including Dr. Mike's. And we will see you next time for those of you with dogs. Enjoy every minute of every day because time is short. And uh, most importantly, which we did not touch upon on this episode because it just infuriates me too much and I would have taken up an additional hour talking about it, is a please keep your dogs on leash. Be respectful not only to the safety of your own dog, but also boundaries and the safety of everybody else and their dogs. Nothing is more ignorant. It's just absolutely unnecessary. The risk is too great. Keep your dogs on leash. Don't be a douche. Be respectful. Be kind to others. And take a minute to pat yourself on the back every day. Right? One step at a time, everybody. This is what this podcast is about. Listening to other people's stories, being kind to yourself, finding some kinship in uh, darkness and in light and always in music and dogs. So until next time, my name is Bree Delano. Thanks for taking a ride with us and getting lost in the sauce.